The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob M. Ronnie. Accident. Boring to recall Jacob and Ronnie. Call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason. That's Sue Kalinske. Sue Baloo, what's ha- I haven't talked to you in a while. I know. I uh, was out of town. I was up in San Francisco. Uh, watched the uh, Lions 49ers game. Did you, you went to the game? No, no, no. No, you just um, watched it. I, and- I watched it with... Uh, like rabid 49er fans did not let them know that I was rooting for the lions. And at some point, Oh, after, after um, the 49ers won, one of the guys came over to like fist pump me. And I just kind of went like that. (laughs) You know, I I didn't want the team, but I just didn't feel like getting into any kind of like weirdness because there was 49ers memorabilia all over this person's house. Um, You know, like, blow up footballs and 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 like blow up players and anyway i wait a minute there were blow up players well like little mini like <laughs> like uh blow up players like on the mantle <laughs> oh the okay got it <laughs> no not what? like giant ones no not like a giant purdy you know in the middle of the living room that's intense um, it was very very intense so um god i, just, I hate the niners god i, just, I hated what i know i know i'm so sad it was like now i wanted to ask you and i know you've talked about it on your on your sports show yeah but um what did you think of the moves that um campbell made going yes. for it on fourth and down twice yeah stupid double stupid because he did it twice. He could have gone up 17 points. He didn't. Instead, he went for it. Then he could have tied the game. This is one I don't understand. You could have tied the game. I know. I know. It was like, I can't believe you're going for it. Yeah. Why why are you doing this? And a lot of people are saying, well, this is what he's done all year. I'm like, situation, situate, look where you are. Look at the context. Look, it's not analytics in a vacuum it is within the context of a game and those were stupid ass moves i was beside myself yeah yeah exactly especially in a den of 49ers fans and when the momentum you know like the momentum started to swing too so it was like what are you doing you're as in soon, their as stadium. soon as brandon Ayuk made that catch off that and then immediately jameer gibbs fumbled it's like ugh, it's done they're in trouble they're in yeah. trouble and they no, totally Totally. Um, so uh, my yeah. least favorite team is in the Super Bowl. Congratulations right. to you. Um, <laughs> oh, you know, on a, on a football note, I don't know if you know, know this or not, but uh, Taylor Swift is a CIA operation. Have you heard this? <laughs> yes. C- CIA operator? Yeah. Yeah. She is. Uh, she's apparently been elevated by the CIA. <laughs> They've uh-huh. made a match between her and Travis Kelsey, who, by the way, did Pfizer commercials. Huh? Huh? Uh, and then they make the Super Bowl because that was rigged all along. And after the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, immediately, I don't like to do politics on the show, but I think this is important. Immediately after the game, uh, uh, Travis Kelsey will propose to Taylor Swift. 
and then she will say yes, and then she'll take her big red coat off, and it will say, vote Biden. This is exactly how it's going to go down, and it's all been preordained by the CIA. This, this like, political, Republican political Hail Mary. Yes. To, to come up with the most inane scenario. <laughs> It's like, it's like not even real. Yeah, it's it's not like, where real. did this come from? It's like Boris and Natasha shit. You yeah, know? yeah, no, it really is. And here's the thing. I, they seem to really like each other. They're in a relationship. I mean, I don't know why everybody's judging it. You know, if you think about it, you go to a Lakers game or you watch a Lakers game. Well, they'll cut away to Leo DiCaprio or Denzel Washington or Nicholson back in the day. You go to a Knicks game or you go to a Giants game. There's Spike Lee um, and they're zooming in on Spike Lee. And then Eminem is rooting for the Lions and they keep going back to Eminem. What's the difference here? Is it because she's a woman? Is that what people are upset about? I, You know, I, I think that... Uh... Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. It's it's like what about years ago with Diane Cannon? I mean, she was a, a avid you know Laker fan, and they cut away to her all the time. Yeah. By the That's way, Diane Cannon. Do. Diane Cannon's still at games. Okay. Yeah, she still goes to games. Um, yeah. I wanted to read you something. This is something my friend Colin Coward said. Uh, he says about Taylor Swift. There's a lot of really weird, lonely, insecure men out there. The fact that a pop star, the world's biggest pop star, is dating a star tight end who had one of his greatest games ever, and the network puts them on the air briefly, then it bothers you. What does that say about your life? What does it say about your life? Yeah, it's just, you know, it's it's jealousy, I guess. You know, is it any different than if they cut away and Mahomes is standing there with his wife and his kid, or, St or Stefan Curry standing there with his wife and his kid. Yes. I mean, that's what they do. They are in a relationship. This isn't because she's just this pop star and she's hanging out and, you know, gets, gets to be in a photograph with him or gets to be on camera with him. They're dating. Yeah. I mean, it's a relationship. <laughs> They're, they seem to have fallen in love and, and good for them. I mean, I'm sure she's already working on the, the breakup album, the breakup song, how Travis <laughs> yeah. did her wrong. Right. Um, she's, con she's conferring with Adele. Yes, she is. Adele is going to do one about <laughs> Rich Paul, LeBron's agent, who she's uh, maybe married to, maybe not. So anyway, I wanted to throw that out there. And the Super Bowl, um, I'm, I'm excited for, I'm rooting for Kansas City, although Kansas City, I was looking at some stuff yesterday, now the most hated team in the NFL. Now, is this kind of like Patriots? Yes, it's got, it a, is. It's got a tinge of Patriots there, you know? Four Be Super Bowls in five years. Everybody's right. kind of sick of them. Yeah. But I'm, I say go Chiefs. Right. I mean, I always root for the underdog when it's not my team. So I always root against the 49ers, no matter who they're playing. Yeah. No, I know. I know. But I'm going to root for the 49ers. What? I have ties to San Francisco. I have I, a lot I'm of like ready to there. drop you from this Zoom call. <laughs> You're going to root for the 49ers? I am. I am. Sue, what are you I doing? Know. I know. I'm sorry. I have terrible. more of an allegiance to my family. Okay. Okay. Um, so I got a couple of things I wanted to throw out. First of all, you're running again. I saw you on Instagram. It looks like you ran a 5K. Is that what I you did? Didn't, I didn't run a 5K. I ran a 5K, but it wasn't a race. Oh, okay. um, I just, so I did a five, instead of saying I ran 3.1 miles today, yes. I just said I ran a five. So whenever I go to San Francisco, yeah. my sister lives near Kizar stadium and oh, now yeah. it's, it, there's a track there. Right. And I, I 
I run there every time I go. So now, did you do the run walk thing? I do the run walk. Yes. Where you run for explain it again for people that aren't scoring at home. You run for a little bit, then you walk I, for a I bit. Run, I run for a minute and then I walk there. I, I speed walk 30 seconds. Okay. So minute on 30 seconds off and you do that for an entire five kilometers. Whenever I run, no matter what I run, when I ran the marathon, when I do half marathons, I run, walk. Yeah. Run, walk. The old run, walk. Um, I think it's impressive that you ran a 5k. Oh, that's so easy. Oh, see, I, I don't run. Yeah. Like I, I ran cross country in high school and I hated it. I hated every single day of it, but I was getting ready for basketball season. Um, and it was good for you know, cardio and stuff, but man, I hated it. And the last day of cross country, I said, that's the last day I'm ever going to run. And you know what? I have not run in 50 years. Good for you. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm exact. by the way, it's not, it's probably like 40 years, but I'm serious about not running. I'm totally committed to not running. It's meditative for me. You yeah. Know? Yeah. No, I get that. I get that. Um, so I came across this story about our friend, Kelly Carlin. Do you know this story? Yes, I do. And I was actually going to bring it up on one of our shows and we didn't have enough time to do one more story. Right. I, I know all about it. So let's talk about okay, it. Okay. Let's talk about it. So uh, this is a, a weird story. George Carlin's estate, which includes Kelly Carlin, who I guess oversees the estate, is suing over somebody who took her dad's voice and turned it into an entire comedy routine. Um, and this is, I mean, if you listen to it, it does sound like George Carlin. It has his cadence. Yeah. It sounds like him, but, but you can tell it's not him. And you know, who's doing it, which is more egregious hmm. is Will Sasso. I don't Mad know who TV. that is. He's from Mad TV. Okay. So he's a comedic, he's a sketch player. I don't know if he ever did stand up, but shame on him to be a comedian yeah. and do this. Yeah. Well, what is he doing it? He's doing the voice. I think, I think he does the voice. Okay. Or it's, or it's his company. He's involved in it in a major, major way. And, now, and that to me is just reprehensible. Okay. So by the way, the jokes were not written by AI. The, and no. I'm going to use air quotes. Jokes were not written by AI. Um, they were written by people and then put into the mouth of AI George Carlin. Now, do you think the Carlin estate has a case because you're saying it doesn't sound that much like him. No, I'm not saying it doesn't sound. I think it sounds a lot like him, but knowing I'm so familiar with George Carlin that I can tell that it's not him. Right. That cadence is there. Yeah, but there's there's the 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 intonation, there's something about the 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 his voice yes. that it's not fully him. I so, I can just tell. So do you think this is going to be a successful lawsuit? I hope so. Yeah, me too. I hope so. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, oh, oh, what was he comparing it to? He compared it to, um, like, uh, Elvis impersonators. And it's like, well, it's not really the same thing because you're not, it's not like you're writing, um, what the reason why they wanted to do it apparently yeah. is that they wanted to see um in their mind what it would be like if George Carlin was around today and what his stand up would be mm. so you're putting thoughts in his head yes 
And it's not true to who George Carlin was. And again, I go back to a comedian doing this. It's like, what an insult. Because George Carlin would have hated this. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, he would have railed against so this. So it's such an affront to who he was. Yes. And, and it's, a, it's an affront to the family. It's, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. And this is the part of AI that is just so horrible. This is the part of AI that is going to get out of control. And this is, I think the Carlin case is important because you've got to draw a line somewhere. You've got to say no. Now, I, I was thinking about this. The Elvis estate, I don't see why they wouldn't do this, do a new Elvis song using AI. I think they absolutely could. Um, and uh, there was an AI Beatles song that went around last year, which uh, resembled the Beatles. I mean, it wasn't a great song, but it, it didn't have that song. Beatles vibe to it. And here's the thing, like right now, people are writing the jokes. Isn't there a point at which AI will be able to figure out what is funny, what is not funny, and actually do jokes itself? I don't know, because they're just, it's not, it's, it's not coming from a human sense. Yes. You know, like I, this was one of the, um, one of the, um, banner, not banners, but one of the, um, one of the, um, cardboard, like the flyer when people were, uh, pro protesting when, yeah. when they were striking, yeah. um, during the writer's strike and someone held up a sign that said, you've never met my mother. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it was so perfect because. Yeah. If you don't have these personal experiences, you're not going to be able to ever write something that is deep and has just, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just impersonal. It's, it's, it's like, it's hacky, you know, okay, let, me go down and hacky. let me go down a different road with you. All right. So do you believe that jokes have a formula to them? Some jokes do. You know, like, um, like sitcoms back in the day. Sure. It, you know, it's a formula. And even like with jokes, you know, it's the rule of three. Right. You know? So now, don't you think AI can figure out the rule of three and write its own material? But I just think that they can figure out the rule of three. They can come up with three jokes in a row or, right. or, ta or tags in a row. Yes. But will they be funny? Yeah. That's the thing. Like formulaically, they talked about during the strike, they talked about some of the formulaic shows that mm -hmm. AI could maybe be successful with um, spitting out a first draft, like like a cop show or yeah, a like, uh, show. Any you know, Dick like, Wolf show. Yeah, exactly. You know, but but the meat of what the lines are saying, will they be, will they have substance? Right. And that I don't think so. Yeah. I don't um, think they'll ever be a, a robotic uh, mind is never going to be able to do it. Yeah, we're we're going and now. At some point, there could be a Mason in Ireland without Mason in Ireland. Yes, there could be. There could be a Culture Pop podcast without Mason Sue. Absolutely. Yeah, we could do multiple. We could do a show every day if it's not really us. And then all the deep fake stuff. Oh well, the the taking people and turning them using AI into like really graphic sexual images. Like I was listening to an influencer who's got like 4.3 million followers on Instagram. I was listening to her yesterday. 
on, I think it was maybe KFI or channel 11, something like that. And she said, there are hundreds of graphic videos of her out there. She's not done anything ever herself, but they're sticking her head on somebody else's body, a naked body. And then they're actually creating this stuff. I mean, this is dangerous. You can ruin it. She says she's lost all of her endorsements because of this. Um, so I, I just think it's, it's very dangerous. And at some point we're going to have to establish some sort of ground rules for AI and say, this is, this is where AI should not go. This is where it can go. This is where it, uh, cause unfortunately it will go everywhere. Well, you just think, and I know we don't talk politics, but you know, you think of what it's do, what it has done politically yep. with deep, deep fakes. They did it with Nancy Pelosi. They're doing sure. it with Biden and they're having him say things that are just ridiculous. And the, the other, you know, the, the Republican, you know, base is, you know, just scarfing it up yep. and believing it. And, you know, we're, we're in this world of, you know, I mean, and it started in 2016. Yes. But it's like, what's real and what's not? And when yeah. somebody who is in a leadership position is throwing out to their base, don't believe anything the other side says. Right. You know, it's just, it's very, very dangerous. And, yeah. you know, people are, people are going to die. <laughs> I mean, people are going to get killed because of it. And it's really, really, really irresponsibly dangerous. So it is an election year. We don't like to do politics on the show. And yet we walked right into it all. We stomped all over politics here. It's really hard though. It's an election year. It's right. It's hard to avoid. Like uh, I'll, I'll throw an AI scenario out at you that uh, comes from politics. And by the way, we don't talk about it, but I think we both follow politics really closely. We both have, um, I don't want to say what party I'm with. But you, you well, can you're probably, you wear a blue shirt. That's true. You probably you can have a guess. Blue background. Yeah. You probably can guess. Um, so Dean Phillips is the guy running against Joe Biden. Okay. So listen to what he did. He had AI and he's got a bunch of tech people on his side. It didn't do any good, but he had AI calling voters in New Hampshire with messages you know, vote for Dean Phillips, stay home if you're a Biden voter, whatever that is. So, I mean, at this point now, you've got AI making phone calls to voters. And by the way, they can call thousands of voters probably simultaneously. Yeah. The, the thing that really pisses me off about people like Dean Phillips is that there's no way he's ever going to win the nomination. It's true. Yeah. And they're, they play spoiler. So it's like, you'd want to say to Dean Phillips, okay, so you're not a big fan of Biden's, but are you a fan of the other guy? Right. I mean, do you really want the other guy to come back? Yes. And, and it's because, because that's what you're doing. Yeah. And yeah. especially in this election where it's going to be really tight again, even if the, the other guy goes to prison. Right. So it's like, this election, and we say it every year, this is the most important election of your life. And it has been the last couple of years. Yes. It's just gotten greater. Yeah. This one is really, is really the most important election. Yes. It really, yes. really is. Because yeah. after this, the other guy goes away after this. He just goes away. Yeah. He just goes away. He has no relevance at all. He can't, he's not going to run again. It's just, 
this is the way, this is how to stamp out the roach. Right. This is how you kill a roach. Yeah. And, and this guy is, is just, you know, it's all ego. Yeah, it is all ego. It is all. Well, I mean, yeah, it is. I mean, it does is. this guy really think? Okay, I don't want to go I'm down this. Be, no, I'm just saying. No, I'm just saying this guy, Dean Phillips. Oh, I mean, Dean he, Phillips. I'm saying, does he? I'm not, when I talk about the other guy, I'm talking about the other guy. Dean, okay. Dean Phillips or the other guy? The other guy, other guy. Yeah. The other guy. The bad guy. The bad guy. Yeah. So I just don't want to mention his name. So um, we all know who I'm talking about. I just yes. even hate saying his name. Yeah. So um, Dean Phillips, I mean, does he it's, actually. I feel like I'm reading one of your. Uh, Facebook posts about politics right now, but I'm, I'm, I'm but I'm just saying that, like, just even comically, oh, does yeah. he actually wake up, or does he go to sleep at night and does he wake up in the morning thinking, "I got this in the bag," right? Like, I'm, 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 you know, look at it, look at it. it's just, it's, it's, it's just ridiculous. Look at the numbers. Just what are your chances? Yes, of, of ever having this go in your favor. Yeah. It's never going to happen. Yeah. You know, it's like I used to joke a lot of times, like in a, in a, in a, mostly in a basketball game, when the score is like 90 to 68. Right. And it's the fourth quarter and there's two minutes left. This sounds coach, like the Lakers, by the way. And the coach on the losing team is, has his board out and his playbook and he's like, and it's like, really? Well, come on. You like, play through the tape, right? No, I, I understand that, but I always would joke like, what is he actually saying to yes. his players? Yeah. We're done. All right. We're screwed. We're done. We know we lost the game. Now, do we want like one last play to like maybe get a couple of more points? But it, and that's where it is with this guy. It's yeah. the fourth quarter, his entire campaign, and there's two minutes left and you're down 30 points. So just go Throw away. in the towel. Yeah. Go away. Okay, I want to do one last thing here. You ready? Yeah. I read a big piece about 18 to 34s, which I think would be Gen Z or millennials, um, who are so into indie and art films. There is this gigantic movement among younger movie fans to really gravitate towards independent film. And I was pulling some box office numbers. What do you think? Now, Poor Things is a really fascinating movie. Have you seen Poor Things? I haven't seen it yet. Oh, I, know, it's, I know. It's great. It's weird. It's uh, Emma Stone is brilliant. Yorgos Lanthimos, obviously, has gotten a lot of uh, acclaim for it. But it's, it's a true indie film. It's done $25 million. Um, Past Lives, we had John Magaro on the show uh, last week. Past Lives has done $10 million for a little movie like Past Lives, which mm-hmm. is really simple love story Korean film. Mm-hmm. To do $10 million, a lot of this is being fueled by younger movie fans who are on TikTok sharing reviews and thoughts and their emotional responses to movies. I think it's actually really healthy. When I owned an art house out in Palm Springs, it was all the 50 plus and truthfully 60 plus crowd now. And I thought, well, when these folks are gone, what's going to happen to indie films? Well, apparently now younger movie fans are into it. I love it. I think it's great. I love that they're gravitating towards something that has, again, a lot of substance, you know, 
Yes. And I'm not, and I'm not poking fun at Marvel movies or blockbusters or anything like that. I just love that they're going to the alternative yeah. and looking for something a little more deeper, you know, yeah. with, with a lot more meaning. And I, and I just, that is, that is one of the greatest things I've heard. Yeah, know? it really is. It's a, it's all, a big positive because I've always wondered what's going to happen to these. Well, people are going to adopt them and, and younger people are like, yeah, I don't, I don't need every movie doesn't need to be a superhero movie. It's like I have friends who have kids who are like in, in their late teens, early twenties, and they are so into like older music. You know, okay. they listen to the Kinks oh, and they wow. listen to Pink Floyd. Yeah. Um, and, and the Who. And I love that, that that's where their, their musical taste, um, kind of stems from. Uh, by the way, a couple other, I, I pulled up box office numbers because I was curious about stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. A couple others that I think are interesting. American Fiction's done almost 12 million, which is a really movie. good number. I love that movie. You like that? I loved it. It's so smart. You know who I loved in that movie? Sterling K. Brown. Oh, he was terrific. He was awesome. He was awesome as sort of the, the uh, lost, uh, troubled gay guy um all right let me uh let me throw in one more are superhero movies over now i say that because aquaman came out at christmas time it's done just 118 million now we're used to superhero movies doing 200 300 million dollars now aquaman is apparently not very good i always thought it was stupid cgi and Jason Momoa is pretending like he's swimming and talking underwater. I always thought it was ridiculous. Uh, but, but, um, really? why? Why'd you have a problem with that? Yeah. Of all the things, people flying in super Marvel, Tony Stark, uh, mechanical suit, the legend. I bought all that. I don't buy Jason Momoa swimming underwater and talking with fish. Yeah. I'm just not going to be in on that. That's where you draw the line. <laughs> exactly. But I wonder if all this stuff has sort of, aged out like are we going to see as is the movie business going to be dominated by superhero movies moving forward i i'm not a big superhero movie fan yep and i also think that they're ridiculously expensive so you know is that going to have an effect on whether they're going to do these movies i don't know especially if the box office is dictating what you're saying yeah that maybe it's it's not going to be worth their while. Here's what I'll say about superhero movies. Everybody, a lot of people, like Martin Scorsese came out and he doesn't like superhero movies and I get right. all that. Um, it's not meant for him. But, by the way, I've had a cough for about a month. <sighs> there you go. Nice. And to clear that. Clear that up. Um, the thing about it is that it's hero's journey. Every superhero movie goes back to Joseph Conrad yes. and Hero's Journey. So there is a story in superhero movies that is similar to a lot of other movies. It just happens to be a lot of CGI and people flying and throwing hammers and all that kind of stuff. But it's still, it's a timeless Hero's Journey story. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I, I, I know. I guess You get I, it, but you don't get it. It's not that I don't get it. I just, uh, it's just not my taste. You know, I would much rather watch a, a past lives. And I saw this movie the, last night that is, was never on my radar. Okay. Did you see Dream Scenario with Nicolas yeah, Cage? Yeah, I love that. Nicolas Cage. Oh, my. You know, I forgot how great he is. Yeah. What 
a phenomenal actor he yeah. is. Yeah. And what a, what a quirky kind of, kind of like a high low, you know? I mean, had, that's had, weird. I mean, it's, it's so bizarre. Nicholas what a great Cage premise. plays this sort of um, doofus. He's a scientist. Uh, but, he's a you know, scientist, but like nerdy and yeah. Uh, and he starts showing up in everybody's dreams. He just and not doing anything, <laughs> but just watching what's happening and not helping. Like people are in, in <laughs> yes, peril, yes, and he's just right. standing there and looks at them. And that's kind of the joke, you know. They're like, "You were in my dream," and like I was almost being attacked, and you just you didn't do anything. And, and you didn't do anything. <laughs> oh my. God, it, it was is great. really, really great. Movie. That's two in a row for him because he also did the unbearable weight of massive talent, which was another really funny one. Him oh, and Pedro Pascal. Oh, oh, you should go if you oh, like okay. this version of Nicolas Cage. Unbearable weight of massive talent is fantastic, and Pedro Pascal is just spectacularly funny. Okay, talking about Pedro Pascal, you had asked me when we were on with Mako. Um, Yes. We were talking about the Emmys. Yes. And you had asked if I had seen the episode with Nick Offerman in The yes. Last of Us. I watched it just like a week ago. Yep. I have to tell you, I think it's one of the best hours of television that I've ever seen. Yep. It was such a brilliant episode. And that Linda Ronstadt song yeah. that they bookended it with. Yep. And that final shot. From the bedroom. Yep. But they didn't show what was, but they, they just showed the curtain flowing, you know, yep. with the window open. Oh my God. Our, Murray Bartlett and Nick Offerman are so good. Perfect. In, in that show. Unbelievably great. And, and that's it, by the way. That's, it was like it. one standalone episode. Now, will you go watch the entire thing? I will. I mean, I'm, I'm on the episode now where she goes the the um she separated yeah. from Pedro Pascal and now you're seeing some of her story her background yes. you know so yes. she's in, like in the military or whatever so that's where I'm at now yeah she's a she is a great actress yeah, a she's great terrific. actress Bella Ramsey and I think Pedro Pascal is I I mean I, I'll watch him in anything he's just such a such an interesting actor he looks so much like Burt Reynolds oh you think oh my God yes you you got to look at him again. He's, he looks like a young Burt Reynolds. Hmm. He is a quirky, funny dude. Yeah, yeah. I like watching him at the award shows. He was very funny at the Emmys this year. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just he's just a funny guy. Um, all right, so uh, there you have that. Um, I want to uh, remind everybody at this point uh, that if you're listening on Apple or on Spotify, subscribe to the show. Leave us a five-star rating and leave us a positive review. Really, over-the-top positive. Right. That's what we're going for. Yeah, uh, like, and if, uh, don't leave five stars, leave like 11. Exactly. And if you're watching on YouTube, smash the like button, subscribe to this channel, and then scroll down, leave us a comment, a review, a snarky joke, whatever you got. And all this stuff helps us to uh, continue to grow the show. Sue, I'm making adjustments in the studio right now. Uh, we're co completely redoing our studio. I've got really cool lighting set up here. And I'm ultimately going to have, like they have on all the news shows, like a bookcase behind me with all my favorite books. There's someone. Oh, this way. There we go. Well, there, oh, there. yeah. You've got books. I got, I got books. Who reads? <laughs> all right. Uh, here we go. I first saw 
our guest today in the hilariously underrated Not Another Teen movie. God, I love that picture. Uh, from there, she became a regular on the long-running hit Grey's Anatomy, landed the role of Alex Danvers on the WB series Supergirl. Her current project is as star and executive producer of The Way Home on the Hallmark Channel. It airs Sunday night, season two, currently underway. Kyler Lee joins us. Kyler, thanks a lot for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about The Way Home. Uh, this is such a sweet and heartfelt and almost mystical show because of the time travel element. How did all this come together for you? Um, well, you know what? To be honest, I, I, it was very, very serendipitous um, just because uh, my daughter's walking by. You know how Zoom goes. Bye. Sure. <laughs> See ya. Um, speaking of which, actually, I have uh, two teenage daughters. Um, one is 17 and my other is going to be 15 in May. And so, you know, a lot of things with this show actually hit really, really close to home. No pun intended. Um, but it was like... Uh, after COVID, so everybody's still doing their, you know, tapes and they have to send in their, you know, auditions and everything. And I hadn't done it. Gratefully, I can say for quite some time, because I went from Grey's Anatomy, had time off and then went to Supergirl. So I kind of like missed out on, on having to do it for like 12 years. And so I'm just sitting there going, oh, my God, oh, my God, uh, I'm the I'm the worst. And so <laughs> I auditioned for like, I don't know, 10 different things. And it was between me and like one other person. And then you just get so disheartened, you know, in this industry. It's so hard and it's so competitive. And so I kind of was just like, oh, I, I don't know what I'm, I don't know. I said, maybe I'm just supposed to have time and, and reflect on my feelings. <laughs> and, <what is that? laughs> and so then I get this phone call from my manager and she's just like, hey, you know, Kyler, there's an offer on the table for you. And I was like, for me? <laughs> nice. No audition? <laughs> no. And she said, and she was like, no, there's an offer on the table. Um, and it's a Hallmark series. And um, I really, you got to read it. Okay. She goes, I don't want to say anything else about it. She goes, I have the first two scripts. I don't want to say anything. You have to read this. And I was like, okay. So I got them and I read the first two scripts and I was just blown away. Absolutely blown away. Because I didn't, you know, Hallmark is such an incredible staple for so many people in their household. You know, it, it obviously like Christmas time, holiday time, you know what you can expect in the sense of like, yes, each story is told differently, but at the same time, you know, you, you can get, there's, it's almost a little bit formulaic. Mm -hmm. And so when I read the script, I was like, wait, this is a series. She's like, yeah. I said, but it's so, meaty like it's not it's not a happy ending kind of like every episode's in a bow you know kind of like it's 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 pretty intense she was like yeah i know so then i got on the um phone with um alexandra Con um sorry alexandra clark and heather conkey and their mother-daughter team so our showrunners are mother-daughter oh wow and so yeah. yeah so it was kind of like oh okay that's like you never hear that you know mm -hmm. And so we got into this long conversation about what we saw, you know, for the series, what they, their thoughts, my thoughts. And then I heard, of course, you know, Annie McDowell's on. Like, yeah. Yeah. Duh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it kind of just all came together, um, you know, with, with the series. Um, 
there's the 20, 20 year gap between Kat and Dell. And, you know, honestly, like I haven't spoken to my mother in 20 years. And, you know, um, Kat and Brady uh, were high school sweethearts mm. and, you know, grew up together. And my husband and I have been together for almost 24 years. So it's kind of like there was so much in it that just, it was just meant to be. Hmm. I, just, I know it. I know it. So you get an executive producer um, title, you know, to boot, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so how much control over the direction of your character, dialogue, et cetera, do you get to show? Do you get, um, you know, the power? I, yeah, we get to... Um, talk about that for sure but the wonderful thing about Alex and Heather is that and and Marley Reed um is that it's an open conversation for anybody at any time so it's like their door is always open so that being the case um I didn't have to like twist any arms or anything um but it is nice to be able to sit in the meetings the production meetings the prep meetings and all that stuff and come at it from I mean I've been doing this for my whole life basically <laughs> And so I've, I've garnered a lot of experience in different ways. I directed on Supergirl. And so for me, it's like, I love the behind the camera stuff. I love like that just gets me so excited. But one of the great advantages that I have is that I'm also an actor. So I can come at it and also a director. And so I can, you know, I'm coming towards these meetings with different perspectives. And so, you know, because sometimes it's like just even when we're talking about the pond, right? It's like we have, it, it had to be very strategic the way that we film the pond because it's a whole day. We take a whole day mm -hmm. um, to do it. And uh, it, there's just a lot of like things you have to keep track of. The time travel, okay, am I already wet? Okay, wait, we have to save my jump for <laughs> the very last jump because I can't dry off again. And so we actually came up with like um, post-pond one, which is like right out of the water. And then post pond two is like, we're, we're still wet and like we can wet our clothing down, but you're not like dripping wet. And then post pond three is like where it looks like we're a little like, is bedraggled a word? Sure. Yeah. I, I'll go. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> you so know what I mean? Must be. Yeah. That's how I feel right now. <laughs> um, so it's like in the time that it would have taken us to get from point A to point B, we've dried off, you yeah. know? So, so there's a lot of technicalities. And that that being the case and being able to have the EP credit has just been amazing. And they trust me and um, and I trust them fully. So it's a wonderful collaboration. Yeah. You know, the time travel element is what makes the show so, so interesting. I mean, there's the very authentic relationship between, you know, Andy McDowell's character, your character, and uh, uh, your your daughter is played by... Sadie, Sadie Snow. Yeah, and she's great. She's she really good. Fantastic. Yeah, and this is her first series. Oh, really? Yeah. No, oh, she she yeah, is so, great. So for her, you know, she's done some independent stuff like in film, and then but she's a she's a theater girl. She's a theater geek, and so that's her. She's classically trained singing and everything, but this is like her first series. So coming into it, I mean, she just hit it. Like she owned it, and like. It was, and, and also has like myself and Andy who were able to talk to her about some of the bigger meteor things. And, and even if it's just the technical stuff, like being on camera and, you know, if you need to turn this way for your coverage or turn this way for your coverage. And she's just like, she's been a sponge 
And she's like, so by the end of of last season, she's like, Kyler, I don't think you should stand there. I think maybe if you, I was like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay, hang on now. Oh, that's great. Think <laughs> your britches, are you? <laughs> <laughs> so as far as the time travel aspect of it, what are your feelings about time travel? I feel it's a great question. Nobody's asked me that question. Um, I think it's totally possible. Mm. Um, I do feel like, but, but in, in the sense of almost like, I don't know what anybody believes, but, uh, almost like an astral kind of like projection sort of thing in our sleep or in times where you're meditating or times, you know, where, where you're kind of like in that Zen sort of like peaceful state. Um, I feel like that's time that we travel. Like it's yeah. like we're leaving our mind, we're leaving we're, our, our spirit is open to be able to pass through time. Now, physically, I don't know. We're still waiting. Like, did they land on the moon? Did they not? I don't know. I'm not going into conspiracy theories. I'm just kidding. Right, right. Um, <laughs> like, We've got but, enough of those. Yeah, we're, we're, we're plenty. I, I think, I think the earth is round. Um, but I think, uh, no, I think, I think absolutely. It's just more of like a, for me, a spiritual sense, more, more of like a soul travel, if you yeah, will. Yeah. And, and I wonder, sometimes I wonder if it's, um, if it's kind of an indi- individual thing, like do spirits attract people who are open to it? Do, do they, hmm. like, I, I don't know if we ever talked about this, Steve, but years ago when I was, when I was a little girl, I shared a room bedroom with my sister and some nights i would feel a presence in the room Hmm. and i did it scared me like it was like boogeyman kind of stuff and i was so afraid to open up my eyes because i felt it like i felt it like hovering over me and if i opened my eyes and i actually saw somebody there i would have had a heart attack at like five years old so and and then it happened intermittently as i grew up and then I did stand up comedy for a long time. So I would sleep in like, you know, different hotels across the country. And I was in a hotel in Baltimore and it was called the Belvedere. It was a very old hotel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm, you know, I'm sleeping and it's like two o'clock in the morning and I never felt the presence um, outside of my house. And it came back like many, many years later. Mm. Wow. And, and I was like, oh my God, what do I do? And I remember calling my boyfriend. I, I did wake up and I did obviously didn't see anything. And he says, well, why don't you try to talk to it? I was like, oh God, if it answers me, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah, yeah. But someone had asked me if I had any jewelry that I wore from a dead relative mm. and that maybe that's why they were, they were coming back to me that way. And yeah, I, 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 I wasn't. But it was really. <laughs> oh, I thought that was like you were unlocking the mystery. I know. It was, like, I know. I know. It was, it was the bracelet. I wish, I wish that was it. I wish that was it. So I never, ever, I never, ever, you know, you know, investigated it further. And and since that that time, which was like probably forty years ago, I never. It's never ever come back. And I don't know why. It just yeah. never. Why? It just left me. Yeah, I. It's funny the. Uh, this generational idea. I don't, it's not exactly time travel. It's more getting what you're talking about, uh, Kyler. I've got, when my grandparents passed away, um, they, they were going to throw everything out. They were going to throw out all their stuff. And I'm like, no, you can't throw out all their stuff. I had yeah. some of it shipped, uh, to LA. They were in Altoona, Pennsylvania. So the dining room table that I've got now 
is the dining room table that I ate at when I was a little kid at my grandmother's house. And I feel like that sort of means she's always here. She's she's always with, and I've got my grandfather's name. He was a car dealer or a car salesman. And I have the nameplate that was on his door, Eugene Santa Cruz. And I have that on my, uh, my mantle here. And I'm like, it I feels like I, I have contact with my grandfather. It feels like he's still here. That's, yeah, I, I 100% believe in that. Totally, totally, totally. Um, and have had many of those experiences myself. Uh, so, and, and it's kind of, it's interesting too, kind of, I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to remember from episode one and episode two. <laughs> They're all like kind of jumbled in my head because we shoot everything out of order, right? Um, so uh, there's the the carvings, the engraving in the fireplace. In the fireplace, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we get to kind of, we, we do go back and we do see the origins of that and how that happened because we're seeing the Landry farm, the Landry, you know, the the history of the the founders of our town Mm -hmm. and so um it's really interesting that you say that because there's there's carvings like kind of all over the place that even from season one um and you see the way that things were written um in the in the book in the journal the almanac uh that you will see those things throughout yes that kind of like they they recreate the history in that sense and so being able to go back um, for Kat to go back these generations, it's kind of cool because it's just like what you're talking about, but actually being able to be there and not be scared to open your eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and kind of like see the origins and see how everything started. And it's kind of like that. It's almost like having, I guess, like Kat experiencing like living ghosts, but it's just being in the past. I don't know. Yeah, really I think all. I think it's all happening simultaneously on different planes of existence. Yeah. Okay. Now here I am. I'm turned into Stephen Hawking. Uh, but I think there are <laughs> different planes of existence and they overlap I sometimes. I do too. That's, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. Do you, um, do you, do you, do you want to know like the future? Like, do you want to know what's going to happen? Um, like, like, do, do you, have you been to psychics? Oh gosh. So long ago. So, so long ago. Um, I feel like, Yes, uh, in a sense. Sometimes I feel like if we know too much, then it's almost like that. That could be like that butterfly effect. You know what I mean? Where it's like I don't, I don't want to know too much, right? Um, unless they're like lottery numbers. <laughs> there uh, you go. <laughs> <laughs> tips. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If it's more like ominous stuff, like really ominous, you know, yeah, I guess so. But um, I, I've, I've thought about it. I've, I've thought about going um, to a psych. It's been so long. Um, I mean, gosh, since I was like a teenager, but uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've definitely thought about it. I don't have anything wrong with it. I just, I just haven't in like a super duper long time. Let's talk about something completely different. <laughs> I think not another teen movie is a low key, <laughs> hilarious masterpiece. Oh my God. Thank you. I, I, it is so fun. It is such a funny movie. I've watched it so many times and you've got that scene where you're supposed to be the kind of the homely wallflower and you take your glasses off and you shake out your hair and all of a sudden you're the most popular girl in school. What, what do you remember about shooting that movie? Cause it was oh. your first kind of big thing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, 
Well, because Chris Evans was in it as well. Yeah. And so we did our audition process because neither one of us were known. Like, you know, we were kind of just did some up and coming stuff here and there. Um, And so he and I, because of that, um, we had to like really prove ourselves. And so initially I actually auditioned for the part um, that Lacey Chabert ended up playing, which was like, you know, kind of a, a, a... very important, but kind of a, a smaller role. Mm-hmm. And when I read with Joel Gallen, who is the director, he was like, he goes, you know, is that was great. He goes, this is awesome, but I'd like for you to read for Janie. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and he gives me the sides and it's like 18 pages for the audition. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and so Chris got pulled in too. There was a lot of chemistry reads and whatnot. Um, and then he, it was like down to he and I, but we had to like prove ourselves Hmm. so I think we did like nine auditions in front of more and more people each time because we had to kind of like keep selling keep selling keep selling but we had so much fun but the movie why did you cringe when I brought it up (laughs) I don't know know, because um I guess because it was such a goofy movie oh it's Um, so funny it was like a cult classic I know how funny, right? I was like, but we had so much fun shooting it. Um, It was pretty wild because, um, I mean, I think we went 20 days over or something. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, we had scenes where it was like, okay, take 22, take (laughs) 23. And it's just because our director, Joel Gallen, it was his first film, like feature film that he had directed. And so it's kind of like, we wanted to cover all of our bases mm-hmm. and do like every single performance, like and 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 different changes here and there, like each line. It was kind of like, dude, we gotta move on. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. I had so much fun. Um, it was it was wild. But I get that every once in a while where where people will bring that up and uh, and it's kind of funny. My <laughs> my son, he's he's twenty. Mm-hmm. He watched it, but he didn't realize it was me. Really? Not until the end. <laughs> um, and he was like, he, he watched it because, you know, I was eight, 18. And so, um, and so he watched it and then didn't realize. And then all of a sudden came walking out like his eyes were huge. And I was like, what? Are you okay? He's like, I just watched not another team movie. I was like, you did? He's like, yeah. I said, how are you feeling? He's like, I don't know. I don't know how I feel. It's <laughs> like, I know. Just because the opening scene in and of itself. Oh, was, yeah. The opening like, scene. Yeah. It's classic yeah. stuff. It's classic. I mean, I love that movie. I love that movie. You know, we did a little homage to that in uh, in season one uh, where, you know, because there's the, the reveal also for Janie coming down the stairs and it's to the Kiss Me song, Sixpence None the Richer. And I come down and it's like this, again, revelation where uh, it's like, oh, she actually is pretty, you know. So I come down and then that's when my character, um, she gets her foot stuck in the in the uh, stairs and then falls through the stairs. Right. So in, in our show, uh, they did like a little homage where I come down in the red dress and I'm walking down the stairs and Elliot's just looking like, oh. And then all of a sudden I trip a little bit at the bottom of the stairs. And that was like... Alex Clark, our showrunner, that was her like little, you know, nod to that. Oh, that's and, cool. Uh, it was really cute. And a lot of people when when I was on Twitter and and whatnot, or sorry, X, 
still Twitter. I I I still. You know it'll it's always, always going to be. It's always going to be. I just. Twitter. I'm, I can't. I just yeah. can't. Um, but there are so many people that um, made those little comments and they did like the little gifts right next to each other. Um, and, and you kind of see the similarities. I was like, that's cool. People oh, that is it. cool. That oh, is cool. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. fun. So I want to talk a little bit about your mental health journey. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm a spokesman for the LA County Department of Mental Health. Um, I care about it uh, deeply as a, as a subject. I'm glad that people uh, talk, like you talk about it publicly. You've talked about your bipolar diagnosis publicly. What, what made you go public with that? Well, I, more than anything, my biggest goal was for people to understand that they're not alone. Um, my mother is bipolar and it runs, you know, pretty dominantly in, in my family. Yep. And so um, it's kind of always been a, an issue. And I tried to talk about it when I was a teenager. And because she was struggling so much, she what, she didn't have the bandwidth to be able to handle me not being well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was like, I just constantly had to swallow, constantly had to just swallow, shut it down, shut it down. Um, and so, you know, it led to a lot of like rebellious teenage years and, you know, difficulties in understanding who I was and why I felt the way that I was even with my kids. Um, cause you know, I had my, my son when I was 21 and, um, then my middle daughter when I was 24 and my third, um, when I was 27 and I didn't actually get diagnosed until I was 29. Mm. And so it was like this constant, okay, like, are these hormones? Like, what is this kind of, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't figure it out anymore. And I ended up having like a, a, a rather big breakdown um, and, uh, and just kind of like making choices that weren't my own and, and just like, just falling apart, basically. Yeah, I, yeah. I, even, I was even hospitalized for about a week mm. um, <laughs> just because I couldn't, I just couldn't do it anymore. And I didn't, I didn't, you know, it wasn't a self-harm thing or anything like that. It's just, it's almost like I just couldn't trust myself because I just didn't know who I was. Was it the depression or the mania? Both. Both. It was like pretty big swings. But at that time, it was the, it was more of the mania and not like in the sense, because it presents itself differently, right? Mm -hmm. Like for every person. And you can kind of look at it and and see the major flags and and whatnot that you can recognize um, and say, oh, those are pretty typical bipolar um, reactions or kind of like how people just respond. And uh, and I kind of fit into those categories, but it was more like an extreme anxiety and an extreme, like constantly, I couldn't sleep um, for days, and uh, I couldn't get my heart rate to go down. Hmm. And at that point, I was I was going to a psychiatrist, and because I felt so much, um, and and admittedly so, you know, I kind of I would talk about it, and then uh, the doctor would be like, oh, "Okay, well, you know, maybe there's this medication that we can try," and I just started compiling all the medication. Yeah. Yeah. And I just started taking all of it because mm-hmm. I, I felt so much. I didn't want to feel anything at all. Hmm. Yeah. And so for me, I was like, God, there's, there's, I just became like a, a zombie. Hmm. And, and so that's like where the swings were. And I felt like nobody, nobody could relate. Nobody could understand where I was. And I felt like I wasn't a good mom and it's just kind of all came to a head. And so 
after that, um, when I got my official diagnosis, I was like, okay, this makes sense. Okay, now I can start to put it together. And I've said before, because I've spoken to a lot of people about mental health, um, and then I did the the Be Vocal Speak Up um, campaign mm -hmm. about bipolar disorder specifically. And, you know, from fans that I've had um, a lot that came from actually Supergirl, um, I spoke with a lot of people specifically about mental health and people that were, you know, very heavily into self-harm. And, mm. um, and just really, really struggling. And even in the moments where I'm just, you know, I was very open about talking about it. And my husband and I would go and um, he's a musician. So we'd go and play, you know, music and a lot of those fans would show up. And so I got to know quite a bit of them and even like their Twitter handles and, you know, their Instagram handles and all that. So I was kind of on a bit of a journey with them yeah. mm. and talking about like thousands of people. And, um, and I worked with, um, well, I, I worked alongside the Trevor project as well. Uh, I love the Trevor project. Yeah. I'm a, the founder was a friend of mine. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, they're unbelievable. And specifically towards the LGBTQ, um, community, just because my character in Supergirl had come out. And so it really struck a big chord with a lot of people. And so I was able to really specifically, um, direct these conversations with them in ways that they could understand because yeah. they could relate. And so, you know, I would speak to, to the folks over at Trevor project and, and sometimes like would direct people that I was speaking to um, on Twitter and say, Hey, I know you're saying that you don't feel good right now and that you don't, you know, that you don't really know how you're going to respond and where kind of hard to explain, but I just, directed a lot of people towards them and just said, mm -hmm. here's the number, here's, you know, someone you can chat with. And just because I, I understood, like, I got it. And yeah, so my yeah. company talking about it, I feel helps people feel like they're seen mm -hmm. and, and that they know that their voice is important because I didn't have that growing up. And so my goal is for people to see and because I have such a big platform to be able to do so, it gives me a great advantage for for people to feel like, okay, I, I'm not alone. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I admire you. I admire you so much for doing um, what you did because I know that there are a lot of people who are in the public eye. And I think more so over years, more more celebrity types have come out and talked very openly about their yeah. situation. Um, there's this really cool thing that I found out about through, I don't do stand up anymore, but I'm still very involved with a lot of my stand up friends. Um, and a lot of them do are, I don't know if they're bipolar, but they do suffer from, you know, high anxiety and depression. Yeah. And they, they've been doing these shows where all the comedians on the show are, you know, are, are dealing with some sort of, of depression. And, um, and then afterwards, they have uh, a Q&A and then they have experts uh, who come out and, and talk to the audience. And it's, it's one of those things where when you see someone like you who mm -hmm. is living the life that you're living, showing people that you can live, you can get it together. You know, yeah, yeah you can manage tools. it. Yeah. You, you, you know, mm -hmm. um, it's such a lovely thing. And I really tip my hat to you for, for doing what you're doing. I think it's wonderful. Oh, thank you. And, and we, we address it in the show as well. Um, because we, 
we show that cat has panic attacks. And I was like, you know, I've had many of them in my life. So I know what they look like. My mom struggled from them uh, as well to the point where she would pass out. Mm. Um, and you're talking like five, six times a day. And so mm. I've, I've seen the, the, you know, the kind of like gnarlier stuff from it. And so because of that, and we talked about it and Alex and Heather were saying, is this comfortable? You know, are you comfortable kind of portraying this? And I said, absolutely. I mean, I know exactly what they look like. Right. Yeah. You live it. You've lived it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've lived it. And so we were very particular about, I was very particular about how I wanted it to look because I did it as authentically as I am aware when I'm having my panic attack, um, as authentically as I could. And so when we do see them in the show, it's a, it's a pretty great representation of what mine look like. Mm -hmm. um, and then even Alex Hook, who plays the teen cat, my teen version, mm -hmm. she was so great because we get to see Cat's very first um, panic attack when she, when uh, she's a teenager and it's at like the Y2K party. <laughs> yeah, right. Mm -hmm. um, and so she has her first panic attack, and she was so she was so sweet because she was like, Kyler, I really I want to talk to you about that if I can. She's like, because I've never had one, I haven't seen one, you know, uh, it, from somebody personally, but you know, she's been doing a lot of research, and I was like, that's really awesome, you know. And she said, can you talk to me about what it's been like for you? And I said, absolutely. And so I kind of went through that with her, and she really she got it. And so when she did that scene because she knew that it was going to be the first time that we see that happening with Kat in, in reality, like from a, uh, not lineage, uh, uh, linear? linear. Linear, sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Look at me using all these big fancy yeah, words. Yeah, yeah, big <laughs> and linear. Um, uh, yeah, we wanted to make sure that it, it stayed consistent. So I was really grateful um, for that being the case, um, for us to be able to do that. And then also in the scenes with Colton, where he's going through um, his grief counseling, because it was also a great representation for people to see that, hey, you know what, we don't have to do it on our own. And if you have these really big, tremendous feelings, and you don't know what to do with them, and it's affecting not just yourself, like your health, your well-being, but also those around you, like, what are some of the steps that you can take? And so a big part of it was was the grief counseling. And um, Jefferson, um, he he played Colton, uh, did such a beautiful job with it because he himself had gone through counseling and whatnot um, and did such a beautiful job with it that we wanted to keep that as authentic and real as possible as well. And we got so many messages um, just through social media um, and some from like actual grief counselors that said, hey, mm. we'd like to use these scenes to be able to show people what it's like. And and I had and it was like it was like such an honor because it made us feel like, oh, wow, this is something that it's it's teachable via what we're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, because sometimes people will be like, oh, you know, yeah, you're an actor, you're an actress, blah, blah, blah. It's got to be so glamorous. You're like, hmm, hmm. And, <laughs> you know, it's got to be so easy. <laughs> and, you know, and and so you look at those things and you think, like, people will say, yeah, well, you know, it's not like you're, you know, saving the world. You know what I mean? Like, simmer down. I'm like, yeah, but you know what? I could be saving lives. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. And. And, you know, I have so many people that would talk to me about Grey's Anatomy, too, saying I went into, you know, into the nursing field or, or as a doctor because of seeing these characters. And so when you, when, you, when you can break it down to a human level, 
And you can see from one human to another, hey, this is how they might have gotten through this, or this is like a great example of something that I can do. And you can encourage people. I mean, who's to say you're not saving lives yeah, in that sense? Yeah. And I think, yeah, in moments of, like that, I mean, there is, uh, you know, people feel anxiety or they feel overwhelmed or they feel depressed or life's coming at them too fast or they're having relationship problems or they're having trouble coming out. Um, you know, I, I took me 28 years to actually come out. Um, mm. so, and, and that was definitely part of the, the stress that, that aggravated my situation, my bipolar disorder. So it was all part of that, but I, you know, the, to live your life with the level of authenticity that you're doing it is really, really amazing. Uh, so congratulations on that. And thank you. Thank you for that. That's, that's super meaningful. Well, likewise, likewise, I appreciate yeah. it. And the show is great. I want to let everybody know that The Way Home Season 2 is now uh, live on uh, Sunday nights on the Hallmark Channel. Uh, Kyler, thank you so much for doing this. We really, really appreciate it. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Anytime that we, you know, can talk about these nice big subjects, I'm I'm always grateful to have the opportunity to do so. And thank you for watching the show and yeah. enjoying it. And and there's lots more time travel. <laughs> yeah, no, excellent, excellent. Can't wait to see where it goes. Thank you, Kyler. All right, my pleasure. And there is Kyler Lee. A really interesting conversation. The show is is moving and heartfelt, and and really the time travel part of it is is really cool. So uh, recommend the show. It's Sunday nights on Hallmark. And boy, Sue, you had a this this presence in your room thing was a little yeah. creepy, wasn't it? It's very very creepy and scary. And yeah. and has the presence has not come back soon. No, Maybe. no, it hasn't hasn't come back in a long time. Okay, but, you know, I'm I'm maybe sus. presence got bored with you. Maybe just like not into me, just <laughs> yeah, not into exactly, me. Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, my presence broke up with me. Yeah, there you go, there you go. Um, well, I want to remind everybody: if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe. Um, if you're listening on Apple, Spotify, please subscribe. Uh, reviews, ratings, comments, all that stuff make a difference. Sue, it's great seeing you. And we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast.